So uh, I before we before we listen to the theme song today, uh, before we start taking notes, as they say, um, I've just gotten a, an email from one of the newsletters I subscribe to, Dealbook. Uh, nice. Around okay, it's, good. <laughs> it's for it's for the show. It is literally for this that I subscribe to it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Infections you to podcast Groupon. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's about uh, like uh, the financial markets. Uh, infections rise, earnings fall, and stocks continue to go up. Oh yeah, I saw this. This was the clearest possible articulation of line go stop. Yeah, yeah. This thing yeah. that we have previously thought relates to these things now totally divorced from them. I think the end of that. The end of that article, you can't actually see it in print, but the punctuation at the end is just the Tim Allen noise. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, he did a little Michael York there. Your um... <laughs> <laughs> infections rise, the jobs fall, but the stocks go up. That's bad. I must all be getting sucked off by a twink. Hello and welcome back to TF. It's uh, the full full coterie of the uh, the garbage people today mm. uh, here to pick up the trash and throw it into a large bin. People of garbage, uh, please. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's what Pog stands for. <laughs> driving the car and giving you a a little wave hello. It's me, Riley, hopping off the back of the truck to go and collect your waste. Uh, it's Nate and Alice. Mm, what's up? I love to, like, ride on the back of the truck. That's cool to me. Yeah. And sitting up in front with me, uh, the three of us just uh, uh, trying to get out of the car and accidentally poking one another in the eyes with two fingers, it's uh, also Milo and Hussein. How's it going? I love the hillbilly wagon. I have this mental image of there's a loudspeaker on the garbage truck for some reason, and Hussein is using it to signal the call to prayer. (laughs) <laughs> See, it, it would be it would be a mixture of like the call to prayer and like various uh songs from the limp biscuit grace hits oh, album. i was gonna say the call to prayer is absolutely crawling in my skin <laughs> oh no, my god no, do you think no, there is Islamic yeah. limp biscuit remixes oh yeah, Fully. Ab- yeah absolutely i know that like when i went to um when i when i went to syria when it was good back in 2000 and like <laughs> 2000, 2007 yeah. before everyone else um, started before going it became all commercial like, i went into a shopping mall in damascus and like they were playing um they were playing huberstank awesome uh, awesome very, very, like an, an amazing memory that like just i think about it a lot as like the good that's this, what, this um, is what they took from us you I mean, know? Just, no, just, just imagine going into a shopping mall where you have these like massive like photos of like Bashar al-Assad and mm. you're listening to like the reason at like some uh outlet mall mm. where they make like fake Reebok tracksuits Bashar al-Assad in a huge mural where he's standing with the lead singer of him <laughs> <laughs> so this 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 is what uh, the Iraq war was meant to accomplish. It was meant to defend this. That's right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to tell you, I had an even weirder one, and I may have talked about this on the show before, so forgive me for having a dad moment if I've said it before, but one time while I was on a forward deployment to El Salvador, I was getting breakfast at this little kiosk on the Salvadorian Air Force Base before we went out to go do like a more or less for show medical mission, which, and I'm not joking, the Salvadorian sort of approach to doing medical missions in rural villages is to first get the crowd warmed up with clowns. 
So there are literally tactical clowns. <laughs> now, that aside, that morning getting breakfast, we were listening to like the San Salvador radio station and it started playing Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp. And I was just like, I'm in hell. I'm in absolute hell. Because it's a song about <laughs> Indiana by a guy from Indiana. And here I am in fucking Central America. And it's like, little ditty about Jack and Diane. I was wondering like, what the fuck would a Salvadorian, what, what, imagine them being like, hell yeah, this is my shit right now. Salvadorians are all listening to send in the clowns on their Walkmans. <laughs> but yes, I actually have photos of the tactical Salvadorian clowns. I'll share them with you later. Absolutely going to steal clown valor. <laughs> Trained by French special forces for tactical <laughs> clowning. <laughs> so everyone has been sending us uh, wire card stuff. Our, our favorite startup that is uh, from the ni- late 1990s that it turns out is almost entirely fraudulent because yeah, we it cracked is- the fucking case wide open. We parked our big trash huge eye in their parking lot and moments later fucking Interpol swooped in. <laughs> yeah, they're copying our homework. Yeah, they're exactly. listening to us and they are, they are, they are, we are all wearing wires. We're all going into bank branches. We're all just seeing what's <laughs> up. We're all big pussy bump and Sarah. Mm. That's right. So, uh, number one, uh, solidarity with our arrested comrade, Dr. Marcus Braun. <laughs> yeah, we have to do a jail support. <laughs> Bail fund links in the description. <laughs> We're going to do a phone zap to some really confused German financial cops. <laughs> Crowdfunding a ticket to Argentina for Dr. Marcus Braun. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so uh, all of the uh, bail fund links in the episode notes will now be entirely going to trying to free arrested comrade Dr. Marcus Brown. Yeah, Marcus <laughs> Brown Innocence Project. Uh, that's what all of the Patreon is going to now. Also, uh, uh, yeah, just so we 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 need to get him out of jail because uh, he actually won a listener contest to be our sixth mic. Yeah, um, as they say in Germany, fuck the Polizei. <laughs> but today we are talking about someone else. Uh, we are not going to talk about uh, Marcus Brown because we know, like, quite simply, if you're serious about prison abolition, that has to include Marcus Brown. But we're not talking about Marcus Brown today. We're talking about someone else. We're talking about Jan Marsalek, a fellow Austrian who was appointed chief operating officer of Wirecard in 2010 and about whom some very interesting stories have been published by the Financial Times. Mm. Um he is the one who basically took a company that was, again, a relatively you know, normal B2B company just chugging away in the back. I'm not saying like it was perfect and then Jan Marsalek fucked it all up, but he seemed to make it, he seems to be a source of a lot of the strangeness of the company. Hmm. So ah, was, the Austrians, is it? <laughs> so he, uh, he At this told, rate, we're going to get a complaint from the Austrian embassy in London being like, Milo, fucking not everyone here is some kind of like financial criminal sex pest. 90, 95% at most. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, he said that Wirecard is global aspirations and that the, com- that the company is going to start a multi-year program of aggressive expansion internationally via third oh parties and outsourcing. Oh, now, now, really making it difficult for me to get on my high horse about the Austrian jokes when you're like, I'm going to start a multi-year plan of world expansion. <laughs> yeah. So in early 2008, Marcelek had a meeting in his palatial home in Munich to talk about a new project he was interested in, which was recruiting 15,000 Libyan militia. Okay, king shit. Yeah, just just guys being dudes. He wanted Dave Courtney's army of flat-nosed geezers. Yeah, flat-nosed Libyan geezers. (laughs) And then in March 2019, that's when the FT reported 
that half of Wirecard's business was outsourced and the payment processing handled by partners who pay Wirecard a commission. This is, all the, a lot of the Wirecard information is coming from the FT because Dan McCrum has done some incredible reporting on it. So um, this is a quote from him. Attempting to visit some of these Wirecard partners in the Philippines, the, the FT discovered uh, a retired fisherman and his family bemused to learn that their house is supposedly the site of an international payments business. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm just a simple country Bitcoin miner. I don't know anything about <laughs> any <laughs> payments processing. I got to be honest with you, Riley. There was a story about this in the, in the sort of 2008, 2009 crisis point where a lot of the really shady, you know, private equity slash private hedge funds were revealed to be weird shell games and, and basically pyramid schemes. And I remember reading about one where a guy had been running one, I want to say in the Bahamas. And, you know, there was somebody who was interested in visiting to potentially invest. And the guy was like, I'd like to talk to your head of compliance. And so the guy running this pyramid scheme just grabs some random Bahamian guy off the street and like, an old dude in like a fucking, you know, button down dad shirt and a big hat. It was like, here, this guy, he's our head of compliance. And the guy was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then they wound up being $3 billion in the hole in their pyramid scheme when it all, when everyone wanted to collect. So like, in a way, it's funny to me that this is the exact same thing, but it's just the, the 2010s, 2020s version is that it's like, it's a fintech payment processor as opposed to it's a hedge fund that will, is guaranteed money so long as you don't, yeah. Scratch below the surface. Uh, our compliance officer is 50,000 Libyan dudes with AKs. <laughs> hey, they'll be sure you comply. But oh, yeah. Nate, I think I want to, building on that idea a little bit, right? I, I, my hypothesis here, my hypothesis around Wirecard is that every major global, major global financial calamity has a major fraud that's revealed as the wheels begin to come off the car again. And so I think what's interesting to me is that the fraud in the early in the er, late 2000s, early 2010s was these these investment vehicles are basically Ponzi schemes. And the fraud in the late 2010s, 2020s is this company that's claiming to perform a non-investment service like that's actually like, purporting to do something rather than just own something doesn't exist. You know, it is the, the the rot is deeper and the fraud is more profound and the lies are more outlandish. Bad Lieutenant 2, destination New Orleans. <laughs> so you could, in theory, uh, Port of Call New Orleans, you could, in theory, run a hedge fund like from a house with a few people if you outsource your back end operations. Yeah, that like, fisherman's that's got like a Bloomberg terminal in there. You don't <laughs> like, know. Like that's yeah. in theory possible, right? But like the now the scam is just like, yeah, uh, we're we're just we've said that again. A large payments infrastructure business, which you can't just run from a house, like requires lots of stuff. It's just like you know, in some bemused fisherman's house in the Philippines. I love just like the the, the fisherman is just like the drill tweet of like, hey, please, <laughs> like the food, the budgeting, like food twenty dollars a month, rent fifty dollars a month, Bloomberg terminal ten thousand dollars a month. <laughs> please help, my family are dying. I mean, we, we. I love that we've gotten to the stage where we are just doing the Blues Brothers bit, where you go to the like registered address and it's Wrigley Stadium or something. Uh, oh yeah, That's right. the, the, so, uh, the address of my payments processing thing, uh, sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> so now uh, Marcelek is wanted by Interpol, but he's completely vanished and is impossible to find. So okay, my third uh, eye is opening. 
Yeah. yeah. Once again, we are parking the eye, and the eye in this case is not so much like a literal eye, but I picture it as the triangle overlay that we put on the video previews. Yeah, we're just like right. we're all peering out of the center of that triangle in the parking lot in in Munich or Stuttgart or wherever, looking cut, for this dude. Cut forward to like three months' time, and the Austrian police are like, "We cannot believe he was in the basement this whole time. <laughs> this was the last place we search. He was not place. even alone." <laughs> uh, so I, I, at number one, before I go on, uh, if anyone was ever going to draw any fan art, could you please make it the five of us piloting a giant beholder eye looking yes, for financial but criminals? A, a, a triangle. Also, with um, Michael York. Yeah. If if you have seen Jan Marsalek, uh, the Interpol tips line for their financial crime unit is available online. I highly encourage you. This is the one time where snitching is good. Every time that like. There was a whole couple of months where any time there was a story about Jeffrey Epstein after he was killed, uh, they were like, by the way, the Samaritan's hotline number is blah, blah, blah. That's us, but for the interval. <laughs> enterprise if you or someone you know has been affected by a wire card. Yeah. <laughs> talk to you. No, it's, it's like one of those good man projects things where it's like, talk to your friends about starting a dodgy international payments <laughs> business. Uh, men don't talk to each other enough. We have not always agreed with Jan Marsalek, but it is in the greatest Austrian traditions to end your career in a basement. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, here's some quotations from the from the FT around Marsalek because he's fascinating. Remember all that the desire to recruit Libyan mercenaries. Hmm. Quote: In general, Marsalek is a very strange character. This is someone speaking of him. He has an extreme affinity for security and is very mysterious. I could never tell whether it was real Ooh. or staged. I mean, this is this is funny, right? Because like it's blurring the lines between just being a business dipshit who wants to be a Bond villain and actually being involved in some like uh, somewhat illegal activities other than just boring white collar stuff. The, the funny thing about this guy, right, mm. is I'm going to jump to the, like, the later quotes in the article. Is, so we is, can is understand there a quote in there is. from like, his narrow jacket tailor being like, yeah, I don't know why he switched to these. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what, I, what I really enjoy. Uh, yeah. For many of those who dealt with him, even closely, his motives remain unclear. Quote, he wanted to have influence and build networks, said one who spe speculated that Mr. Marcelek's lack of formal education left him as an outsider in Austria and Germany growing up with a need to be accepted and to impress. Here's the quote. The only thing he seemed to like more than having state secrets and being involved in all these surreptitious things was letting you know about it. <laughs> He's Austrian Dave Courtney. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I would just like you to know that all of these things I'm doing are very illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I have 500 illegal armed Libyans with chemical weapons in my basement. So you're not a cool guy. Herr Wachsmeister, ich habe sehr illegal gewaffen. So, Milo, you say chemical weapons. That's actually, um, that's actually prefigures what comes oh, next. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Dude. Mr. Marsalek turns up on wire card business in London with a dossier containing specific details of how to make Novichok. Dude, we know too much, man. We we are uh, like I I don't like that this podcast in season three has just taken a turn into the extended universe of the Hitman franchise, right? <laughs> so, 
with a highly unusual detail dossier containing details specifically on how to make Novichok, which he then showed to traders and speculators in an attempt to impress them. What? (laughs) He was just showing people the ten crack commandments, but for Novichok. This is just like when you're a teenager and you'd like discover the anarchist cookbook for the first time, and like you go to school the next day and you like show all your friends like that you found the secret website where you learn how to Mm. make like petrol bombs and stuff. Yeah, it's that, but like if you're actually if you are actually in the Illuminati. Yeah, yeah. If you can actually do it, which somehow like makes it even sadder. Like this even makes it more pathetic. Cause like I just I was I just imagine this guy as being someone who just gets very excited about finding things online um and kind of like cooks up these schemes that he has the money to actually do. Mm-hmm. There's a definite rule for me that as soon as you find your name in the same sentence as the word dossier, something has <laughs> gone very wrong. <laughs> Dossiers is never good. You never want to be described as carrying a dossier, being mentioned in a dossier. Unless you're in the secret dossier for cool dudes that the social justice left are trying to suppress. Mm. That's right. The organized Suspicious. social justice left. So basically, the, what what a lot of this turns on is that he has a. He is basically a. a works with uh, the GRU, uh, the Austrian uh, Austrian sorry Russian Foreign Intelligence Service through an organization called the Austrian Russian Friendship Society, um, and that Ooh. he basically yeah, and so basically he used and he used like money with that society, offering sort of hundreds of thousands of euros to work for him and produce a report to suit his needs uh, on the in, in subject of rebuilding communities in war ravaged Libya. Uh, but Mr. Marsalek's interests were very different to economic development, one person working on the project says. An email obtained by the FT goes, The priority for Jan Marsalek is to close the border, preferably via a 15,000-strong border police force that will be comprised of former militias. He was doing it, volunteer border force shit? It all Austrian comes together. Dave Courtney's volunteer border force. Black-nosed <laughs> geezers fucking minding the door of the country. <laughs> you can't fucking come into Libya dressed like that, you fucking toilet. Nah, <laughs> off. This could be used, in his opinion, with the national government in Tripoli as leverage against the power brokers in the east. Closing the border can be sold to the EU as solving the migration crisis. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Riley. I mean, you may have encountered this, but obviously there's a certain kind of like finance brain that leads people down these insane rabbit holes. I remember when I lived in New York, there was a story about... Uh, youngish like mid-20s trader or a- analyst at i don't know if you've ever heard of uh dimitri baliazny who's like a hard hard li- a libertarian hedge fund guy but um he this guy this kid was working at baliazny asset management and he got caught buying like international trafficking levels of ecstasy over the dark web to his apartment in stanford connecticut and it's like normally that's the extent of the crazy but when it feels like Marsalek is one of those people that he didn't get caught at that critical juncture where he might have been like, mm, this is a bad idea. And so now he's mm. just like on a long enough timeline, a finance career can reward your craziness to the point where you've decided you're going to be Nicolas Cage and Lord of War. And it's still I, love like- to think, I love to think that that guy wasn't selling the ecstasy. He was just one of those guys who's like, when I'm trading, I'm pinging. <laughs> yeah. Personal <laughs> consumption only. It's just vibing some stars. Yeah, no, this is so cool. We have a financial system that creates Bond villains. Just fucking <laughs> think- rubbing the Bloomberg terminal. There are a few a few things, right, to to think about here. I think one of them is that, you know, all this like it, it's not a coincidence that a lot of this neo-reactionary dark enlightenment stuff, so like Marcelek's connection to the FPO, the Austrian far right party. Oh, what a surprise. Or his like dis- Yeah, or his desire to like 
um, externalize the European borders in, in, in Libya and things of that nature. You know, all of this dark enlightenment, neo-reactionary stuff keeps cropping up in the tech industry, right? I, I think that it is, that's no coincidence. I think that's partly because the, I will change the world through my heroic wonderfulness, which is so common to tons of these companies, um, is it really lends itself to that kind of like, horrifying reactionary thinking and the problem is the collection of capital in that area makes makes it possible for Jan Marsalek or Peter Thiel or you know a Hohenton Thet or whatever mm. to begin externalizing all of these like psychotic reactionary fantasies and trying to make them real and the only thing funny about this is that like clearly Marsalek is like Austrian Dave Courtney, where he's like, can't stop bragging about, you know, secret, like secret documents that are incredibly illegal to have because he wants people to think that he's cool. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Like, I can't figure out if I want to envision him as being deeply, insanely psychotic, like a Bond villain or also just like Austrian version of Jackass. Like, we, well, do we got Wee Man to drink this Mountain Dew, but actually it's got Novichok in it. Because <laughs> right. it just seems so, it just seems so out of left field. Like, like, you know, I, I recognize That's how bad Margera if he was on Red Scare. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recognize that obviously the the to, to to cop a phrase from I think it was Current Affairs like these are some of the creatures that capitalism creates, mm. but obviously the, specifically the creatures that finance creates. But the one thing I would I would tie this to Riley is that I don't know if you recall this, and it, it kind of I missed this when it was originally put out there. But back when people were actually paying attention to Richard Spencer, I remember you know him him basically saying that. Your typical alt right guy is a 28 year old who works in IT at like a new high, like highly respected tech company. And I do think there is some crossover. Like, okay, fuck Richard Spencer, but the idea that that dark enlightenment, like eugenics libertarian shit is pretty common amongst tech people. And I feel like the thing is in finance is that as long as you, you can, you know, make, correct-ish calls on fucking positions long enough in your career, you can be as fucking insane as you want. You can't be left-wing at all and get away with it publicly, but you can be like right-wing to the point of like, I eat nothing but chia seeds and I'm training in a Greek temple for the final battle. And people will be like, yeah, cool. This guy's a good asset to the team. Awesome. <laughs> must yeah, have well, a great, I mean, he must have a great morning routine. Mm. I think, you know, fundamentally, we're being the classic woke justice left here and we're canceling this guy for trying to give jobs to 15,000 people of color. <laughs> you know what? He's just trying to tip the scales a bit. And uh, second of all, everything this guy does, it really reminds me of the second uh, Daniel Craig Bond film, Quantum of Solace, that made absolutely mm. no sense. Yeah, we're going to find out because that this guy like owns like a futuristic hotel in the desert in Bolivia for some fucking reason. <laughs> yeah, like every, all of it just seems sort of somewhat evil, but you can't really actually discern what the fuck the plan mm. is here. It just seems like he's just doing stuff because it seems cool and the sort of thing a Bond villain might do. And like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to take this right. off track. I just would say that the, the, the bring it back around with a point is that this sounds so insane. But I think you know this from from your research, Riley, that the more contact you have with actual finance people, the more banal this kind of insanity seems. Well, it's a, it's a, I think really, because uh, you can look at this on a, system, on a systemic level or on a personal level. I think, you know, it's important to do both. On a personal level, I think this is just someone who is, you know, made deeply insecure by the sort of insane elitism of, of Austrian and Southern German society and who like reacted and who always felt like he needed to earn his place in any conversation because he didn't go through all of the Sarah standard elite schools and, you know, and elite universities and so on that are quite common 
in the sort of rarefied uh, bits of both of those countries. Um, I, so I think partly there's like an inferiority complex that's constantly working itself out here. And the result of which is I have so many illegal mercenaries at my disposal. I am definitely worth talking to for this archduke mm. or whatever. You have to look at this from the systemic level as well, right? And stop and don't and think about it in terms of Wirecard and what Wirecard is doing and wh how Wirecard was associated to all this. Because all a lot of these, um, at least the Novichok stuff, was around trying to intimidate short sellers <laughs> who they were like paranoid were trying to short their stock. And so you, I think that the point I have here, right, is that the difference between Wirecard and a bunch of other like zero interest rate problem um, attempted monopolist startups and stuff is basically Wirecard's illegal because they didn't file the right paperwork to invent mm. all of their profits. You know, they didn't only one, only two people are allowed to invent money, and that's Nations and Lex Greensill. And he didn't sort of go through the right processes. He didn't get the massive expanded valuation, whatever. You know, it's that is that these these things have to be understood as equally unsustainable. It's just someone like Jan Marsalek was sort of willing to sort of take the risks of working incredibly illegally to try to keep his ever so slightly more fictional company a afloat. God, imagine the scene. You're a simple country stock trader. You know, you're on your 14th pinger of the morning and you're trying to short sell some wire card stock. And then suddenly there's a knock at the door and you open it to find a man with no neck whatsoever who looks like a penis that's been dressed up as the man from Del Monte who goes, listen, son, if you don't stop short selling the wire card stock, you're going to be in for a clump. <laughs> and you're like, what? And he's like, by which I mean a, a fucking good idea. I've got <laughs> no clump. Your doorknob's going to get dabbed if you know what I fucking mean. <laughs> but I do, I really do like this idea, Riley, that the problem here is procedural only, that the reason why this became an issue was because of you paperwork fudges and you know a desire to get ahead of the normal sort of gatekeeping mechanism it's like you can you, you can show up to people who want to short you apartment and fucking wield a buster sword and nobody has any problem with that but if you file the paperwork wrong then you're then you're in hmm. hot water well so, certainly that's the only thing that interpol or like the german police care about for fuck's sake oh yeah i mean we i mean I think that it's 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 funny because I and it's it's instructive as far as I'm concerned because I think it it shows you the sort of thin veneer that how thin the veneer of civility and innovation and making the world a better place is on this entire rotten industry. Um and and also of course because yeah we're we're prejudiced against Libyans who don't want 15,000 of them to get good sustainable government jobs from um a working a, a, a partnership between Jan Marsalek and the GRU. I mean I think you'll actually find that uh, the German government didn't have a problem with any of this it was just that Marsalek didn't pay the import fees on the Esper to cast Ifrit on all of his haters <laughs> and so as a result you know they had to do their job they You're had no final choice. fantasy mood today. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's you know, right. a lot uh, of Final uh, Fantasy stuff. It's a, it's it, it, yeah. I, I, I got some deep lore on mid '90s Japanese RPGs and basically nothing else. Uh, so I want to move on a little bit though from Wirecard. Funny as it is, and it is certainly something we will be keeping up with as mm. as we learn more about it. Um, oh yeah, before we go on, actually, one of the other things was that uh, so Marcelek owned a bunch of like cement factories in Libya, which he oh. then also bragged to his friends were being used as illegal staging points for like Russian uh, covert uh, Russian military <laughs> operations through they so, so uh, you're telling me that this guy disappeared and has not been seen strange 
Yeah, this guy, this guy who likes to, who, whose main thing about him is bragging about all of the illegal stuff that the Russian government does for him. I love to, I love to really incriminate powerful Russians and assume that nothing yeah, bad no, will ever I, happen I, to I, me. I, hmm. Despite what I've read in the dossiers, which I presume are so made So this up. guy is fully a support column for like an expressway in eastern Libya now, right? <laughs> who knows? They're finally doing something useful. Yeah, you know, who who knows, you know? Uh, but hey, you know what? Uh, Jan Marsalek, there are people who care about you. Please come home. Um, so I want to move on, though, uh, to the summer statement uh, made by Rishi Sunak uh, about wh- how we're going to be tackling so the coronavirus crisis. So professional. I would, like to, I, and I would like to start by saying uh, that it took us uh, six days mm-hmm. to be proven right. Uh, all of our predictions from the previous episode, unfortunately, are being borne out by the summer statement, which is essentially a gigantic giveaway uh, to buy to let landlords through a vacation on stamp duty, which for American listeners is a tax on property sales uh, that's paid by the buyer. So now uh, houses up to half a million pounds will be exempt from stamp duty because he said one of the key problems of the coronavirus crisis is that house prices have fallen for the first time oh, in eight no. years. What, what's the oh, unemployment no. rate oh, no. up to Man. again? <laughs> uh, they can no longer be represented yeah, with a real just, number. Yes. You, you, you just you you ask the National Audit Office what the unemployment rate is, and they just kind of like shuffle some papers around and go, huh, you don't want to look at that. Look, no line no line is allowed to go down, whether that's the property value line or the line of coronavirus mm. deaths. Yeah, that's Every right. line At this point, over 20% up. of people in this country work for Jan Marzalek. <laughs> for tax purposes, if, we if, are if all 15,000 pro- Libyan men. Look, if... Look, if the ha- yeah, if the house prices go up, and how can any of these uh, working class Libya um, working class Libyan fighters like afford houses in London? <laughs> so, um, what else do we have? Uh, we also have massive expansions in um, apprenticeship schemes that allow people under the age of twenty five to be paid, like mm-hmm. I don't know, in gumballs. Um, Hell yeah! And yeah, it's I cool. feel like that's. Uh, yeah, can we get an apprentice? <laughs> I think that's a thing that we should clarify for Americans because they may not be aware of this. In the United oh, yeah, Kingdom, you have a this. graded a scale for minimum wage based on how old you are. And if you are under 18 or you are in an apprenticeship, I want to say it's something. It's below five pounds a month. Or an out correction. They wish it was five pounds a month. It's below five pounds an hour. So four, effectively, it's four pounds ten, I think. Say again, around there. It's four pounds ten, I believe. Yeah, at the so lowest four pounds rate. ten at the current exchange rate is probably about five dollars and fifty cents, maybe six dollars an hour, which is less than the federal U.S. minimum wage, and obviously far less than what most people would oh, be earning. Sorry, sorry, I, I, I understated it because I'm very anti-Tory, and so I have these, um, these net, these just assumptions that it's going to be that they're never going to do anything that you can't, um, that you can live on. It's four pounds fifteen wow. cents. Okay, luxury. Yeah. So imagine, I mean, so imagine if if you're working a job as a, as an apprentice or you're you know under 18 and the most you can get paid is basically six pounds six dollars an hour and then if I'm not mistaken it doesn't continue to max out or correction it doesn't max out as like the full adult minimum wage until you're 25 mm-hmm. that's right yeah so imagine having an age graded minimum wage in the United States where you have to be a quarter of a century old before you're allowed to earn seven dollars and 25 cents an hour that's what they've got in the UK and you know, in a city like London, that like as I've made the joke on Twitter before, you know, has Peoria, Illinois salaries with New York City prices for cost of living. Uh, yeah, effectively, yes, it's all um, very normal. Yeah, the situation that you're in is 
is pretty fucking grim, and the Tories only seem intent on making it worse. This is why house prices cannot be allowed to fall, because the free market is very good until it does something mm. we don't like. <laughs> that's right. Until it house does something that annoys your dad. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. House prices need to be kept artificially high so that people wor- will work at four or more apprentices at w- apprenticeships at once. Baz is absolutely furious about the price of his uh, <laughs> static caravan in Clacton on Sea going down. <laughs> um, no, I think ba- I think Baz Baz doesn't have a static caravan, or Baz's static caravan mm. is one of his four homes. Yeah, that's what uh, I was implying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He also so he has a main home in uh, the London commuter belt, and then has two council flats that he bought uh, in 19, 1992 uh, for like you know yeah in, in, in like Basley and then, uh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he rents them out to uh, 10 people per bedroom and then says that I worked hard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, why do I need, why, I, I, br- yeah. I had a difficult time in the 80s. Why can't they breathe in mold? If they if um, they didn't want to live, nine of them in one bedroom between four beds, they shouldn't have been Romanian, <laughs> should they? <laughs> uh, so homeowners have, buy um, to let landlords basically have a reduction or elimination of stamp duty. Um, we have uh, employers, have tons and tons of money that will basically pay them to take on apprentices who they don't have to pay the minimum wage to. Uh, and then also we have a kickstart scheme where even if you're not in an apprenticeship, we'll, the government will still pay you to employ young people. And then we have a job retention bonus, which could be as much as 9.4 billion pounds paid out to every company that, company that furloughed a worker if they bring back all of their uh, furloughed workers. So if you have a worker on furlough and you bring them back uh, in the autumn, the government pays you um, up to a thousand uh, pounds so long as you're paying that employee 520 pounds mm. a month. So basically, cool. it's just there are a, a number of gigantic, basically um, string free or almost string free giveaways to companies that say, hey, if you follow the already existing law, we will pay you to keep doing things that make you money. Yeah. Um, so there's so that's the first bit where it's just a gigantic giveaway to the people who already own stuff to make sure that businesses stay af- basically businesses stay afloat, house prices stay high, and 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 uh, so on and so on. Uh, I think the key thing here is remember, like we said last time, this is because you need a way to get money to people, and we need to make sure that that stays Tesco. We need to make sure that Tesco's remains the way that money gets to mm-hmm. a bunch of people. Well, where else are you going to buy your money, smartass? <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, yeah. And I would put this out too because you see this kicked around so often on various social media things, and even in you know establishment news, when Americans try to say, "Look at all these other things that other countries are doing. If only we had sane governance like they have in X countries," and they always include the UK on mm. that list. I feel as though it's very, very important to establish: do not include us on that list. You don't know yeah, what you're talking about. <laughs> if, if, if anything, what the UK has done so far for individuals is less than the US government has done. Because to my knowledge, so, we have not yet... They've, they've done more to protect people's jobs by basically bribing their employers. They have not given people money. The closest we've gotten to getting money is they're saying... Riley, will get into this later, but basically, here's a voucher to go out to eat. That's it. What we... I mean, the credit where it's due, the furlough scheme probably is something like a labor government probably would have done. They would have just done it. They would have gone on to it and come off of it very differently. But like, you can see why that makes sense, at least in the short term, to like prevent massive change from happening immediately. It's just that what the Tories aren't doing is 
anything to try to fix the problems of the system that they're propping up. Yeah. Um, so I, I sort of I, I disagree slightly on there, just that that scheme has been effective. It's just been one effective part of a machine that kicks you in the balls. Well, yeah, um, and, and I, I, feel like, I feel like it's important to stipulate that everything about the response was done, you know, to keep employers solvent, not really to ensure that people's earnings or, you know, disposable income or even ability to stay afloat was in any way addressed. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah I, fully, I, I buy that. I would concede what you just said that, yes, they did, in fact, do a lot to stop people from getting sacked. But also, I'd point out that it's a very, very different system for employment and loss of employment in the US versus the UK. Because in the US, if you come to work and your boss decides that he just doesn't like the color of your eyes, he can fire you and you cannot challenge it. Mm. I also love that that's always portrayed as like as a freedom increasing device. Like, no, because if you don't like the color of your boss's eyes, you can just quit. It's at will employment. <laughs> yeah. um, so a few more things here uh, before we get to what's actually going to most you know, British people. Um, what's also happening is we're doubling down on institutions we know are broken. So like we're spending more than two billion pounds on more work coaches for the DWP, which are literally the only jobs that will come from this particular <laughs> bit of spending. Work coaches um, is such a just a cursed name as well. Well, because what they're what they're what they're doing is they're there to try and ostensibly the job of work coach is to help you spruce up for a job interview and really impress the local Sainsbury's uh, or whatever. Just making but, you run up and down the town hall steps until you're ready to go for your interview to be a Libyan militia member. <laughs> so actually, what work coaches do is they're there to try to reduce your expectations of what you deserve as a salary or mm. also uh, just to kind conditions. of like degrade so, and um, humiliate you. Yeah, effectively. Well, Alex, I don't know who you'll be voting on next. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so the work coaches that so we're basically and also the assumption through the whole DWP system, the universal credit system. Don't forget is all the jobs are there. The working class just needs to be forced to take the the jobs from the capitalists who are desperate to employ them. They just need to be prodded off of their uh, couches where they're watching their flat screen TVs and their Nikes. Um, and, and they're not, they're not doing their bit to keep my house expensive. Um, so that, my house prices are going down because these layabouts refuse to work in a piss factory. <laughs> well, we all had to work in a piss factory once, didn't we? I mean, not literally, of course, because the piss factory has only existed for the last five years. But if I, that's why they call me Barry Piss. So I actually own the piss factory <laughs> and I need people to work in it. Simple as. Right? <laughs> so if, let's just take a brief uh, brief review of sort of where the targeted spending is going before we get to what's going to, to people who actually like to everyone uh, is big help, big help for buy to let landlords, big help for employers, which I've calculated about sort of just like an over slightly around four billion pound or thereabouts four point something four point eight billion pound subsidy to employers just. Just, just for doing what they do, just for employing people. That's like, you know, please, please, just keep exploit. being you. You know, yeah. It's at, at present, just because it's Tuesday from the government, uh, and then uh, doubling down on lots of institutions that we know don't do anything, uh, and also subsidies for lots of people to earn below what you need to live in most places that people live. So that's what we have on the one end, um, and then we also have something called the Eat Out to Help Out program, uh, where for 13 days in August, you can get up to 10 pounds off um, a, a bill per head at participating restaurants. Yeah, you know what the vibe is? It's is like a like scholastic book voucher at school. 
The government has put those book booklets of subway vouchers through your door that then no branch of subway will you actually get a accept. Pound off of any Jacqueline Wilson. <clears throat> I don't know what you're complaining about. This is fine. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh yeah. I, look, listen. The Libyan militiamen in my basement are being very well treated. They are each been issued with discounted Jacqueline Wilson novel. <laughs> they are learning about becoming a young woman. Uh, yeah. So look, that's kind of that's kind of where we are. Uh, with the with this, and if you remember, our our prediction was um, this is going to be solved through massive and deepening inequality, increased uh, increased sort of corporatism and state favoritism, uh, as it's it it's seen as important to preserve all bits of existing order, whether that's making sure that unproductive companies stay afloat or making sure that house prices stay artificially high or whatever, and that's all going to be at the cost yeah. to you. Your, to, to British workers and their actual working conditions and their salaries. Uh, it's that's I love to work in the Potemkin Village factory. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, you know, I think that's it's important to, you know, to, to understand that anytime someone's like, oh, Rishi Sunak's a secret socialist or whatever. It's like, if you look even casually at what he's actually doing, then uh, obviously that will be not not correct. It's so uh, funny and- to me how just anything can be mm. socialism now. Like, just yeah. did you see that thing that someone screenshotted the other day on Twitter where it was like two people complaining how all the big big corporations are doing Marxism now, and the only way to get rid of the, all the Marxism will be to get rid of the big corporations. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Conquer socialism, yeah. we must become people. socialism. <laughs> Mark's just going, no, don't do that. We'd hate that. I just remembered this amazing tweet about the £10 vouchers on the restaurant. And it comes from, um, it comes from Guido Fawkes' Tom Harwood, where he basically says that like, he, in order to, for, the heat, for the eat out, help out uh, scheme to work, I could go to a restaurant and buy a lavish £60 meal and get £10 off. Or I could go to three restaurants, one each for £20 starter, £20 main, and £20 for a pudding, and get £30 fucking off. Fucking min-maxing like, his lunch. Match. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, this is the well, this is the thing because the people who were like really kind of excited about the Rishi Sunak stuff were all these like weird ASI people who like seem to be really oddly like into min maxing restaurants. Mm. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but they're like really, really obsessed with like just like maximizing their restaurant experience, which includes like going to these high end places and paying twenty pounds for like a fucking trifle or something. Eating a dessert of an autoland drowned in fucking clotted cream. These are the only people that are looking at the Rishi Sunak stuff and thinking, wow, he's not only like, no, he's not only kept the economy afloat, but he's also made it better by enacting like our weird version of what like a libertarian restaurant orientated economy would look like. I mean, it's basically like those people who live their entire lives in airports and hotels and planes because they're constantly traveling on yes. miles and accruing more miles. Yes. It's like the weird miles freaks who like they, they purport themselves to be living this like this hack cheat code life of luxury when in fact they're really just living out a very dark and unintentional version well, of the well, terminal. Like yeah, it's, well, or do, you, or, do you, or do you remember that George Clooney movie where he's, like airport, yes. where he's like in airports a lot? Yeah. And they, and they kind of look at that movie and, what, and they kind of think to themselves, damn, that's a cool guy. Well, I mean, it's hack to say that projection is the most powerful force in politics. But remember that the people who are most bonds are about means testing are the people who, as soon as a, um, a government stimulus is announced, like meager as though it is for like going to get dinner, immediately begin like pulling out their calculator and figuring out how they can take the public purse for as much of a ride as possible. 
I love to go to Chiquitos, followed by Nando's, (laughs) followed by Pizza Express, (laughs) followed by Five Guys, uh, followed by Bella Italia, uh, just to get the absolute maximum out of my Tory vote. That is being a rational (laughs) consumer. You don't enjoy any meal. You just, you pay the minimum possible amount and then take take your business elsewhere. Smart money. Rishi Sunak is making that- the mixed buffet great again. <laughs> That's the this is this is Homo economicus is someone who's willing to like yeah just wolf down a soup and then start on like yeah. a cold mixed grill at the next restaurant over because yeah. they know that they're going to be maximizing. It's it, it's like the old joke about a psychiatrist being someone who goes to the theater and watches the audience. An economist in this case is someone who goes to Yo Sushi and envisions themselves as the conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know if my joke is as good as yours, Alice, but in my mind, I was just thinking like those people who make it like a Guinness Book of World Records challenge to try to visit as many tube stations mm-hmm. as they possibly can in the fastest time possible. But in this case, it's to going to every Toby Carvery in the home counties. <laughs> Play, playing fucking oh, Mornington man. Crescent, uh, but like in order to get some tax credits. And we, we have, yeah. But like also, the last segment that we have here is one of these restaurants. Oh, and I it, love it, this. It's so it's so delightful that this ties in so well because this is this is the kind of thing that you bounce towards for one course, right? Yeah. Absolutely redlining the rev counter on the Vectra VXR as I attempt to make it to every single harvester <laughs> in the greater Essex area before they close at 8 <laughs> okay, okay, so, uh, I want to go slide cleanly into our third section today which is just just another helping in our delicious mixed grill uh, of of a meal all of which is being subsidized by the government we started as we started as, a, as 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 a group of intrepid garbage people taking out the garbage and now we're sitting down at a restaurant well deserved the third in a day for our third course because we have okay we have judicious judiciously i think avoided the counterfactual of what if corbin were in charge because I think that is a question with yeah, a lot of... Y- y- you may have noticed he is not. Yeah, and also it's a question with a lot of obvious answers. As soon as, like, one person coughed from coronavirus, every single, like, mainstream media outlet, including the BBC, would be like, is it permissible to nuke Westminster? Yeah. The the, the question the question is stupid because the answer is, damn, it was weird that there was a military coup a week after that happened, and things just proceed as normal. So... You turn on the TV and it would be like, there's no coronavirus in Ba Sing Bay, but it's the, the, the woman saying it is holding an AK-47 and it's Laura yeah. Koonsberg. Laura Koonsberg just wearing a beret and like MTP would be, yeah, awesome. Yeah, so... Yeah. A big so ISIS we haven't, behind it. Yeah, centrist <laughs> ISIS. So look, we haven't done the imaginative Corbin thing because that's hack. However, we have to a little bit right now because we're going to travel up north uh, to hear a word from the Guardian's North Ooh. correspondent, Helen Pidd, and her best friend, Andrew Twentyman. Sir, 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 <laughs> sir, sir, please, please, let us let us at least be accurate on our reporting. Helen Piss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more, more like Helen Piss, actually. Helen typed this article out on a Whippet, but sadly the Whippet, <laughs> the whippet didn't have a D key, so... <laughs> uh, so, basically, the, 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 the basics here, right, is that Helen Pidd sort of Goes on these on these journeys around to the north of England, uh, where in 2015 she'll uh, post stuff like um, a, a terrible. No one here is speaking English. All voting Labour, of course. Uh, yeah, solidarity to every Labour voter 
who saw Helen Piss coming, saw this fucking dickhead guardian fucking journalist coming and was like, uh, no hablo in glace. Uh, no, no understando. <laughs> No hablo English. Of course, of course, they're not speaking English. Just the North. What does she expect? Uh, Everyone's talking about something called gravy. I don't understand. I didn't realize that everybody in Oldham was the Taco Bell dog. (laughs) So basically, what she does is she sort of goes around Lee and she talks to quote the real working class of the country, which kind of seems about what they think about politics. And usually, a lot of them say, "Ah, if Corbyn was in charge, we'd be pandemicking and freaking Vietnam. We'd probably be having as bad of a time as they were, Um, freaking communist Vietnam over there." Anyway. Oh, fucking Venezuela, am I right? That, that was Googling a Dan that Hodges recently. tweet of imagine when coronavirus hits Venezuela. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it aged perfectly. Awesome. So basically what happens is she, <laughs> as it turns out, um, doesn't work very hard, <laughs> I, I, I think, maybe in her job, because she keeps talking to the same guy. Um, and the same it's guy. called Inside Sources. Yeah, so my, my inside source from 20 Men's Pizza. So basically she says, she writes in her in her article, <laughs> mm. In Lee Town Center on Wednesday afternoon, Andrew Twentyman was on the phone sourcing Nduya sausage for his artisanal pizza parlor, recently opened at under 50% capacity. Classic working class activity. A first-time Tory voter in December's general election, yeah. Rishi Sunak's hospitality package made him feel massively vindicated for switching his vote from Labour. Can you imagine the state we'd be in if Jeremy Corbyn had been in charge of all this, he'd asked? Uh, yes, military coup. He doesn't eat, uh, he doesn't even eat, he doesn't even eat pizzas. He just eats Large yeah, my, my fucking pizza restaurant yeah. would be a jam warehouse for the state by now. <laughs> he would he would take the pizza restaurant and turn it into a gulag. <laughs> We'd have well, no time to order and do your sausage. We'd be having to make our tractor factory quotas, yeah. comrade. <laughs> so also, fucking <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn eats and do your sausage. He'd be making us put fucking genders on the pizza. <laughs> I, hate, I hate when my pizza restaurant is taken over by transgender Hezbollah because we have elected Jeremy Corbyn. I'd have to change it from 20 men's pizza to 20 mux's pizza. <laughs> that's what that's what Jeremy Corbyn wants. So, you know, effectively, uh, is he challenged on that assertion? Uh, no, of course not. Helen Pidd does not uh, go on to challenge this, nor does she challenge, in fact, uh, it seems in any meaningful way, the people who later in the article say, uh, Lee is being overrun by migrants. And though, well, she notes that it's 97% white. They all yeah. sound like the Taco Bell dog yeah. for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Andrew Twentyman actually came over from Libya. His name was uh, Andrew 15,000, but they changed it at Ellis Island. <laughs> yeah. 15,000 men being walked across the border by MI5 saying, oh, there's this guy. He's really impressive. Sus. The sus, grand old Duke sus, of sus. Lee. He had 3,000 men. <laughs> Um, episode title, the grand, the grand old Duke of Lee. Um, so, uh, so basically she, uh, she then interviews this guy, uh, and is like, yeah, this is great. Um, this program will make a real difference. And you know, it's again, prop, I, I, I can't see any part of that. That's wrong. Like, yes, this will help a lot of businesses stay open. If that's your mission, then yes, this, this is a pretty good plan for that, at least in the short term. Yeah, he's just like, yes, this does align with my class interest, actually. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> when when criticized by this, uh, even a little bit, by people saying, wait, A, is is the Andrew Twentyman um, actually working class? He owns a business, and his brother appears to be a wealthy property developer. Uh, B, 
How come you also interviewed him uh, about the Dominic Cummings issue a couple, like not one month ago and used the same picture of him for both articles? He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a cool guy. She just loves pizza. She just loves pizza. She loves the pizza that she and also like isn't the pizza that he makes like super gentrified oh, stuff yeah. as well? Like, yeah, it's, it's like, like it's like it's like figs figs parma ham and induya sausage. And I've actually looked on the Instagram of this restaurant. It looks fucking dire. Yeah, it looks like the kind of place that it, it is fucked Euro vibes. It is like it, it looks like, it, it does it does like seem like a place you would go on a rest on a, on an ASI funded restaurant crawl to get a twenty pound mm. pudding. Yeah, and it's the same chocolate pudding everyone has. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, fig and parma ham and do your pizza is in fact what's in the Libyan paramilitary MREs. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the first ever pizzeria to be bombed out by an angry Italian food commenter's militia is <laughs> not a real pizza. You say that, but that leads us to my favorite part of this, yes. which is that since uh, Twitter found out that he had been interviewed twice in like as many months and his brother is a property developer, um, they, they kind of like maybe uh, said some unkind things on his review pages, which obviously we don't condone, right? We don't, we don't condone giving this guy's restaurant a negative review. TripAdvisor is sacred, guys. Yes, but the thing is, he's in a classic working class move, massively overreacted, and he's done the thing that you never want to do. He started replying to the bad <laughs> reviews. Oh no, he's he's debasing he's the review. De- he is owning them. To be logic. fair, to be fair, he, he he was doing that before. But once people started trolling him because of the Guardian piece, he got more yes. and more unhinged. He did a he he he. It, it appears that he uh he had a couple of pints uh-huh. down the pub as one does in the, when you're a working class northerner, and then got on. <laughs> just decided to do the last scene from Downfall. Uh, with that yeah. in mind, I, 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 I'd like to, I'd like to, like, yeah, Keitel, Jodl, Krebs. I would like to start reading some reviews and the responses that he left. He's so, getting so furious, his flat cap just catches fire. Yes. So the review, uh, two stars. Pizza is okay. Expected better because they do seem to have an authentic pizza oven. And for all I know, this is a, a real review. Like, it's not like, oh, you didn't like uh, Jeremy Corbyn much, did you, you prick? It seems like reasonable enough. His response: They do. Das war ein das war ein they do. Thicko. Do you mean we have it, or they have, or I haven't been here? Is this Diane Abbott? Ten plus nineteen equals point square root of twenty-seven. I was baking bread for the local people of Lee, a place neither you, your cronies, or Jeremy have been to, and now a vote lost because you want this to be a bully. This is what bullies do. (laughs) This level of aggression to try and break us is abhorrent. This morning I was awake early with this bullying, and worried about the threats to my family, and haven't sat down once all day working to try and keep my business alive during the current situation, and you all still persist to trash it. Okay, 
That- Wait, this guy is the scene from Goodfellas where um, the guy, the, the guy for, who owns the restaurant, goes to Paulie to ask for protection from Tommy. But it's him going to Mike Gapes about Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Please, I don't know. I know he's, I know he's a good guy, but like, what am I supposed to do? The fucking comes in a pizza place, he gives you two stars. Come on, what am I, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah. I, I love this guy. He's like, um, he's like standing athwart his, uh, his pizza parlor. His, you know. artisanal pizza parlor in Manchester uh, as the city burns around him as Antifa has risen up and the country is racked by violence and civil war and just claiming that day is vault you mow on lay but for this fucking pizza flipper awesome I mean legitimately legitimately him just saying how dare you question me given my working class authenticity is not really all that different from (laughs) 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 (laughs)
And I just, even if you're having a bad day and you're angry, I don't understand. Knowing that you're getting additional scrutiny, just getting on there and going full on, just like, <laughs> it's so bad. Okay, once the lockdown is over, Trash Future live show in Lee, and we are absolutely going for a pre-show dinner at 20 Minutes Pizza. That's right. Um, I mean, we should just do a show in Manchester, man. That would be, we haven't been there. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, well, also, like, I just, I, I love that the sort of the, the implication of, of this entire article, right? Uh, well, there's two. Number one, she like Helen Pidd notes that the amount of u- universal credit claimants in the Lee constituency rose by 65% um, since the lockdown started. But no, we will not be talking to any of those people. We will be talking to the real people that labor needs to win back, which are Pizza like, tyrants. Um, just, just, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> like, uh, like, yeah, that we need to win back. Like, um, I was going to say real blokes love warm calling and sweet pizza. Imagine working for yeah. this guy. Well, and that's the thing. We, we can't, Labour cannot, has to make sure we never uh, focus on winning back or winning in the first place. The people who work for this guy, no. We need to get small business owners with severe anger problems. <laughs> My favorite reply to any of these reviews, and I didn't see the review this was a reply to, because I don't care, but like he just replied to one of them, Jeremy Corbyn, XX. I mean, living Jeremy Corbyn XX the collaboration with uh, Jamie Jeremy XX. Jeremy Corbyn is going to have to pay this man because he is morally opposed to the extent to which he is living rent free in his head. I mean, speaking of like rent free in heads, but also just people getting mad online. Like when the article came out, and people like, you know, yeah, there were people dunking on Helen Pid, but there were some people who like, like actually just questioned why number one she would be using like the same source, but also um, why like. Even just the principle of like, how can you talk about working class people in an interview? Like this guy who runs a bougie pizza restaurant mm. and who like definitely has assets and has a brother who is very openly like, you know, uh, buying and selling assets. Um, I came out as a property developer to my parents when I was seventeen. <laughs> which, like, which he responds that like the left are trying to cancel this guy and cancel his pizza restaurant. Um, True. Which is just kind of like, which yeah, is like right. sort of indicative of like where punditry at this point, or like where even like journalism at this point is going, where it's one where everything is basically like a culture war where everything is canceling. Um, or any like, it's not even about, you know, because this isn't really, I don't really want to talk about cancel culture and stuff, but hmm. it's just one where like any kind of like critique over how this issue is framed and one where it is like, as Riley kind of mentioned, um, you know, this isn't kind of like stu- like socialist stimulus. This is a stimulus package which still like extends the existing um, stress of inequality like even further, and like no one's really addressed this. And it's just like, well, if you address this even a little bit, that's a cancel culture issue, and that's on that's on you. So like, you know, uh, and I don't know whether it was like just defending a source or defending a pizza restaurant that you seem to like. Cause you like, she also tweets about how she loves the pizza over there. So maybe she's just really into like sweet dough. I don't know. Mm. Hussein, I got a question for you though. As a professional journalist, if you had gotten caught using the same source that you were clearly friends with and misrepresenting them and then doubling down and being mad online about it, instead of even just like just letting it go and not making yourself the center of the story. Yeah. How do you think your journalism career would have fared? Um, 
I mean, it, I definitely wouldn't have gotten away with it. That was one thing. Um, you know, the thing is like, you, you know, you use sources sometimes that you are kind of friends with and you are like, or that you sort of know, like I haven't used anyone, but I like really have a, you know, a deep relationship with, but people who like, I know I'm friendly with, I'll like use for quotes or whatever. Um, but you kind of like either you, you sort of like say, you contextualize in a way where it's like, okay, they're talking about this particular issue or they are an expert at this issue because of like, you know, having written about it independently for a long time, et cetera. Um, this I think is like a completely different situation where like, you're not talking to like a, a random small business owner. Or you're not talking to a small business owner that you have a professional relationship with. And they're talking about like the package in the context in which, um, you know, of which like the report is trying to like look at its impact. You know, this is someone who clearly not only has like a very, um, a much more, a much deeper relationship with their source, but it's also one where, and I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is that like she's willing to overlook stuff um, when people ask her about it by deflecting that on basically saying, oh, this, you know, this is a you problem, as in this is a you problem on the reader rather than me as a writer judging which sources and which quotes are kind of like useful for this topic. I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Well, it does. I mean, it's to me, it just struck me that it felt like the point of this article was to just do some more knife twisting about like Jeremy Corbyn bad. You know, imagine if Corbyn was in charge, we'd be doing gender Venezuela right now. Yeah. And it, it but the, the fact that it was so mm-hmm. ham fisted. That piece is horrible. But it was so yeah. ham fisted and so terrible and so incompetently done. Yeah. And that it's coming from The Guardian doesn't strike me as anything surprising yeah. but then obviously you look at it you're like is this this is just what the guardian does they've got rich asshole sock puppet guy from the north to be the authentic working well, class and everybody else is a damn university student politics loony left yeah and it's just yeah to see it in your face like this like it's it's so beyond parody the right. guy they got is basically pizza drill like it's just <laughs> it's so mind-blowing to watch yeah, and i think there's like a couple of things i'll be i'll be quick about this like the first one is that like the kind of obviously interesting parts of her story are just not really addressed, but they are on the page. So even like the, the even the context of like the quotes about, you know, um, immigrants taking jobs and everything like, which is evidently is like untrue, but it's also like, well, why don't you interrogate that idea some more? Because that might be, you know, that might be an example of like very bad government messaging or as we've spoken about for the past hour, like that could also be like the effects of the existing kind of stress of inequality, which is upholding, like, well, which is like prioritizing like bougie bad pizza shops over like everyday workers and especially key workers, right? Um, that's something that she doesn't address. And then the second thing is like, okay, well, even the framing of like work, you know, because she's she's tried to frame this as like a working class, like how are the working class or how are like working so called working class small business owners, um, you know, how how are they like responding to the stimulus package? But then she also says that like, okay, well, this person also kind of is very asset rich as well, which isn't I don't know like again it's one of those things where it's like as like NASA um, as like uh, as like Nasley said on Twitter um you know it's 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 an idea where like the working class is like an aesthetic or it's a identity rather than any sort of um any sort of introspection on it being like a so an issue of social relations right mm-hmm. no I mean absolutely I, I at least 100% see it that way and I don't know like- yeah. it's it's also part a, gr- a great deal I think of the country's uh, sick building syndrome fucked vibes is that like m- statistically uh, okay maybe most English people are not like this guy but the only ones that matter to elections are the pizza tyrants 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think tyrants who get mad on that. It is mm -hmm. part part of. I mean, I think there is part of also a kind of demoralizing effect of continuing to live under these conditions, where you know there is this there's this feel of well, politics isn't really for me. It doesn't really do anything for me, and it can't be made to do anything for me. And the only people who can really expect anything better are the working class pizza, quote unquote, working class <laughs> yeah. pizza tyrants, who um you know, who are then sort of just consistently bombarded with with messages about you know being scared of immigrants and that the your university age children who you hate are going to come do social justice to your um to your Christmas lunch, and 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 just this I'm idea ruin your of, pizza sauce <laughs> of getting of the of your world gets smaller and scarier and smaller and scarier. And that you must, in turn, become more uh, proactively aggressive and proactively aggressive, and that this is just, I think, a it is it is a symptom. Um, now, Alice calls this sick building syndrome. I think you can understand it as the long term collapse in the horizons of what is possible or what can be hoped hmm. for, and where some people are responding with learned helplessness because they've been beaten into the ground by universal credit sanctions and things of that nature. And then the people who actually are still getting the scraps of what's of what's being handed down here, right? The um, oh, you, we can keep your you know debt leveraged business on, in, in alive for another two weeks if you just like promise to love us forever. Is that the the short the shrinking of horizons and the pressing down of hope um, engenders in them a kind of you know anger? And that if you want to talk about sick building syndrome, I think that's what I mean. I'm just so fucking bored of mm. these people. Like, they're just constantly giving airtime to these idiots in fucking national papers whose entire argument is like, well, yeah, everything's fucked. But imagine how fucked it would be if Jeremy Corbyn is in charge. It's like, do you understand how stupid of a point that is? Like, and journalists are going like, yes, indeed, what a point. Imagine what it would be like if Jeremy Corbyn was in charge. I don't know, fucking better? Like, what? It, like, what it, how could it be that everything is completely fucked and still the default assumption of these cunts is that it would be worse if Jeremy Corbyn was in charge. Like, how would... It, it would be worse for them. But also, that was eight months ago. Like, it's over. Like, Corbyn's not in charge. Everything that's happened that's bad and fucked up and is nightmarish in this country right now is because of Tory incompetence. It's because Boris Johnson was too busy, like, you know, eating birthday cake and fucking off in the Bahamas and never attended a single SAGE meeting about the fucking coronavirus crisis until it had already hit. Like, we saw the big... We, we parked our fucking tent on the goddamn train tracks. We saw the train coming and we're like, oh, it'd be fucking terrible if Corbyn was in charge. And just, like, let it fucking happen. And the thing that kills me about it is that rather than addressing this, you'll see no fucking decline, no no punishment of the Tories in terms of people's opinion because every vehicle for receiving information in this country is nonstop just jacking itself off about like, we really dodged a train from that Corbyn guy, didn't we? As the train is running us over. Yep. I mean, yeah, like the other day, I literally had a conversation with someone about a particular Tory policy that they were moaning about. And I was like, well, you know, it was like in the Labour manifesto that they were literally going to do the opposite of that. And they were like, yeah, but they wouldn't actually have done, would they? And I'm like, OK, so the evidence that we're dealing with here is that we're under a Tory government that has done the thing you hate. And there was a government you could have voted for that said they would do the opposite of that thing. And your perspective on it is, yeah, but they probably wouldn't have done. But that's what I'm talking about, about a reduction in. Yeah, like a, a, a lot of these people had a Labour government for 10 years. And you, you might say, we, we might well say, oh, but that was a different Labour government. That was new Labour. They were fucking assholes. But a, a lot of people took the lesson from that that, oh, well, it doesn't fucking matter who wins because they're never going to do anything that materially benefits me. So who cares? 
Yeah, I mean, if you want, if you, I think that if, if I was to sort of try to provide a kind of um, a skeleton key to the sort of weird ongoing resentment of someone who now hasn't led the Labour Party in quite some time and was last electorally, um, put, uh, last electorally viable more than half a year ago, if you want to connect that with like, you know, um, uh, anti-mask protesting, anti-vax stuff. You want to connect all of these things together, these sort of weird lashes out of More aggression that you can't really understand. I think it's, it, I, yeah, I think it is, it is the crushing of the idea that anything can be better and it's the filtering of everything, whether that is I should wear a mask to stop from getting sick or infecting other people or like I believe that the last person who said that things could be better was lying to me. It is cynicism. It is universal, pervasive cynicism. It is the belief in the fundamental rottenness and inevitable rottenness of you and everything and around you. If you want you. to get blackpilled, the answer is that they're right. Now is the time of monsters, right? Why not be a pizza tyrant? The world's gonna fucking boil in ten years anyway. Who gives a shit? Oh yeah, you know, on the same. Ha have a nice time, like abusing your staff, trying to get your induja or whatever. Because like trying to make the world materially better for anyone is a uh, fool's game. And what? Why are you trying? Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not that far along. I think that it just means that. Look, I, I try not to talk too much in the language of morality. I try to talk mo try confine myself mostly to the language of material things and things that are and, and the relationships between those things. But I think like if I can slip myself into a little bit of moralism, I, I really I do think, or even just in, in a virtue sense, the best thing you can do, I think, is, 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 is to remain is, is to continue doing the best that you can to try to do the best that you can in the smartest possible way. That is, uh, for me, I, I agree, that is a religious obligation, actually, to do that kind of, that positive despair of being like, well, we're gonna ride the wreckage down on this one, and just kind of fucking try to triage all of this shit. But, like, I, I think it's a totally cohesive and coherent worldview. Uh, to be like, no, we're all, we're all fucked anyway. Uh, so you know, why should I give a shit? I'm just I'm gonna start rolling coal because that benefits me and I like it. Yeah, it's cool actually. Rolling coal in the vector on my way yeah. to the harvester. I I just have to say I think that it's very easy to get fed up and to kind of throw your hands up about it and just be like, all right, there's there's no point. But I do think that these people wouldn't be melting down so hard if you hadn't touched a nerve. And the nerve is that we are governed by a group of people. And when I say governed, I don't just mean the Tory government. I mean, I mean just the way in which information is processed and distributed in this country mm. that have the thinnest skin you could possibly imagine. Yes. And all it takes is a, a fucking Google search result or like a Twitter search to reveal how incredibly lazy and incompetent they are. Mm. And I know that we don't have that this isn't you know the a replacement for organization and pushing back but I have to say that if all it takes is two google search results and a couple of fucking reviews on a restaurant to make people melt down this spectacularly it kind of makes me think that a lot of their I don't know, universal hegemony that they project on being the, 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 the real knowers of politics and culture in this country is such a, it's a house of cards and it will, and it'll, it'll, it, it, it's not, I don't think you can overturn it instantly. 
but I definitely feel like a lot more people that I know have come to the realization that the Guardian, the Telegraph, the Times, the Daily Mail, the Sun, that it's all basically the same people. They all go to the same fucking spectator garden party together. Mm. And that you can't trust them to have your back or to even report reality. I, I, I don't agree, though. I, I think that that kind of fragility, I think that the, the thing that makes you log on to your TripAdvisor and uh, make you be like, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, it, that's not a sign of weakness. Maybe personal weakness, but in, in terms of your like class position, that's a sign of strength. I, that you can uh, like see like shades of the fucking Jacquery in uh, like people that the cops are are brutalizing and who are not doing anything back, uh, to to me that reflects a kind of like a position where you are so used to getting everything that you want that uh, and and the way that you have been taught to maintain that is that the second anyone threatens it, even in the most trivial ways, you start screaming and screaming and screaming and you don't stop until the thing doesn't exist anymore. That's worked remarkably well for I don't know, the last two, three generations of politics. Why why stop now? Uh, I, 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 hmm. Bad news for Kreps and Yodel, I have to say. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, I, w- I want to actually take that, that moment to just uh, I think, end on a note of slight ambiguity. Uh, if that's all right with everybody, yeah, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna let you end on a note of positivity or optimism. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the vibe. But look, hey, um, uh, a little bit of a philosophical end to what was supposed to be a bit of a fuck Ten around episode. Years of climate left. This always happens. Uh, hey, but hey, look, uh, I want to thank you, number one, for yet again tuning in to this here this here podcast. Just a simple Just country podcast. Number one. Fucking Picard over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number one. Number one. Uh, number one. Uh, I, I cannot do Michael what York. The fuck number was one. That? <laughs> I'm trying to do Michael York. You just, uh, you went, you using, went, the, using the sex teleporter to go to three different microclimates, I can get 10 years of <laughs> each. That's what I don't want you to know. They uh, want you to go to a gay Toby Carver. Oh. <laughs> Getting fine, finely, finely aged twinks imported from the Niagara Escarpment. <laughs> I, lo- I, I love the Michael York impression. Yeah, it is the Michael my- York bit is such a strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 come on, my- you want Michael York and his radioactive gay wolf. If you want to hear uh, the origins of the Michael York bit and many others, uh, we've got the Patreon. Uh, that's the episode with uh, Connor Southard from Podside Picnic. So do go check out the episode where we talk about Logan's run mm-hmm. and do impressions of Michael York for an hour. Rob, check it out. <laughs> watch, watch our Twitch streams. Also, we have a D&D stream that's going to be Thursdays, uh, 9 p.m. British time. Uh, where we do bits such as what if uh, Riley had a spear that made anyone you hit with it Australian? That's right. What if I had that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what if, if they- You know, mate? Oh, and the other thing is, we haven't talked about this enough, but um, we have a bunch of spin-off shows that we just put onto the Patreon, uh, including Britonology, where you can hear all about why we keep talking about Dave Courtney. And... Um, the also, Bony Island Whitefish, yeah, about Bony- season season five of Bones. Yes, which is me and Andrew Law from Bunta Vista, and uh, Alice will be on it this week, so That's look right. out for that. D- doing The Girl in the Goop. No, or... it's, it's The Goop on the Girl is the, the goop on episode your title. 
I will, make this, I will make this joke seven hundred times in the course of the episode. We also have like we also have like ten K posts, which I'm not even sure is like a TF spinoff, but it, it is, is tangentially related. Yeah, Hussein Kasvani uh, PI. Uh, yeah, I mean until like until like Riley buys my podcast and like makes it part it. of the TF Empire or something. But right. until then, um this is ten K ten K posts. We've got a new episode coming out soon. And well, there's your problem. Also, technically a TF spinoff. I, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I think that's enough plugs. You know about the t-shirts. Buy, buy a shirt. Buy a shirt. Uh, yeah. d- donate to bail funds for Dr. Marcus Brown. Yeah, if your name is Yodel or Kleps, <laughs> buy a shirt. <laughs> we got to get Marcus Braun out. Um, all right. I think that's it for us. Uh, later, everybody. Bye. Bye.